Uh, good evening. Well, it's great to be with you again. Um, I've really enjoyed the special items of music today. You know, they have been uh, fantastic. You know, I've got recordings of both of those songs, and your presentation is up there with the recordings. So I, I really do appreciate that. You know, I, I'm hoping this evening, I'm thankful this evening that my wife didn't get to speak before me because I think she gazumped me this morning. You know, I, um, you know, she's not in here. You know, my wife is really a trophy of God's grace. You know, her, her testimony is, you know, it, it blesses my heart and, I, and I'm sure it, you know, it blessed many others this morning. Now, once again, I appreciate the opportunity uh, to be able uh, to speak. It is a real uh, privilege to be able to preach from uh, this pulpit. You know, one thing that is required for a church uh, to function well is every member within the local body fulfilling its role. You know, for this church to be celebrating 39 years, it is evident that many people have played a significant role. You know, the body has functioned well. Now, in order for this church to continue to grow and thrive, it is imperative that this body continues to function harmoniously and that every member plays their part. Now, time together this evening, I want to consider some common problems that can work its way into a local body that ultimately need to be guarded against. For if they are prevalent, the body will not function as it is meant to, which will greatly hinder the work of the church. So the text that I want to consider is John chapter 3, from verse 22 down to verse 30. So if you have a Bible, could you please open it to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, and we'll read from verse 22. Now hear the word of the Lord. Now after these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing in Aenon near to Salem, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. For John was not yet cast into prison. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, No, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. But John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear my witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. Now, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. Now, he must increase, but I must decrease. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we, we do thank you and praise you for your goodness and your faithfulness toward us. You know, Father, thank you for the years that you have uh, granted this church. And Father, um, you know, I look forward to seeing what you have installed for this church in the future. You know, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to study it this evening. You know, Father, please help me uh, as your servant to proclaim uh, the truth this evening. 
And Father, please grant to us the precious gift of illumination to help us understand and be able to apply your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name, for his sake. Amen. Now, what we have recorded before us is a very important portion of Scripture in understanding the earthly ministry of our Lord. For we are given information that is not found in the Synoptic Gospels. The Gospel of John was the last written of the four Gospels. The other three were in circulation and were well known before this fourth Gospel was penned. Uh, The events in our text fills in the gaps of the synoptic gospels where it seems that as soon as Christ's temptation was over, John the Baptist was arrested. Uh, Matthew chapter 4 verses 11 and 12 says, Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. Seems like they are sequential events. Uh, Mark chapter 1 Verses 13 and 14 says, And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered unto him. Now after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Uh, What we see from uh, both of these texts is that the synoptics begin Christ's ministry in Galilee after the arrest of the Baptist. And it seems as though uh, these events occur immediately after Christ's temptation, but this is not the case. For the Gospel of John supplements the synoptics by recording these earlier events from Jesus' ministry. Events that are actually simultaneous with John the Baptist's ministry. And you know, this is the point of verse 24. This is to clarify the timing of the events unfolding before us and to show that this is not a contradiction with the other Gospels. And what this tells us is that the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of John actually overlapped. Although it was for a, a brief period of time, they did minister simultaneously. And with these men ministering at the same time, It was very easy for this to turn into a competition. Who had the most followers? Who was more successful? Comparison after comparison. And it is this that occurs in the text before us. And it is to this that I want to turn our attention towards in our time together. And I want to consider this scenario under three headings. They being, it's not fair, it's heaven who gives the increase, And it's about Christ, not me. And the lessons found within will, God willing, help us to avoid some poisonous attitudes that are so destructive within the local church. So firstly, I want to consider what I've called, it's not fair. And this is found in verses 25 and 26. Now in verse 25, a squabble arose between the disciples of John the Baptist and some Jews. The particulars of this dispute remain unclear. It's something to do with purifying. And from the context, particularly the reaction of the followers of John, it seems as though this dispute may have been around whose baptism was superior. 
Now, would one be better off getting baptized by Jesus or by John? You know, was one better than the other? So, in other words, it's a pretty childish argument. Oh, Jesus' ministry in Judea involved baptizing. Although it was not himself performing the baptizing, the disciples did it in his name, according to John 4.2. And John was baptizing in Samaria. And hence this had led some to question whether one was better than the other. And what is clear is that the disciples of John, they go on the attack. They are the instigators of this particular squabble. And it reveals a deeper issue in their hearts. No doubt one that had been brewing for some time. Oh, John's once booming ministry was now declining. Oh, his popularity was, was waning and the ministry of Christ was thriving. You know, that is really the issue at hand. They have a spirit of jealousy, of envy towards another's ministry. They are bitterly disappointed, almost resentful that the ministry of Jesus was receiving greater publicity, greater support than their own. And these poisonous attitudes are revealed clearly in their complaint to John. Now look at verse 26. Uh, and they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, you know, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. You know, the language used and the sentence structure makes it clear that this was a complaint. And it was an ugly one, for it was dripping with jealousy. You know, they saw the ministry of Jesus as a competitor, like they were running a business. This was Telstra versus Optus for them. And what made it worse was the fact that Jesus' ministry was gaining popularity at the expense of John's ministry, and they were not happy about it. And hence, John has his disciples you know, coming to him, you know, like a child to a father, you know, Dad, it's not fair. We see the intensity of their jealousy and their resentment in the fact that they would not even mention the name of Jesus. Within this complaint, they simply use the personal pronoun. And then they also employ hyperbole when they declare that all men come unto him. Oh, John, it's not fair. Everyone is getting baptized by Jesus rather than you. Now, that's what's going on here. The disciples were offended at the attention that the ministry of Jesus was beginning to attract. They viewed the ministry as a competition and it was obvious that they were losing. And although we look at this and we tend to think, man, that's childish. In fact, that, that's pretty pathetic. Particularly considering this was Jesus it confirms that many of John's disciples missed the whole point of John's ministry and Jesus' ministry, and I'm sure there's a lesson there. But what I want to draw your attention towards is the fact that we too can be guilty of the exact same thing, of being jealous, envious, resentful towards other people and other ministries, you know, particularly when they have more success when we do when another individual within the body is more gifted than we are. 
And we must guard against this poison attitude for it is destructive. There is a need for cooperation, not competition, within both the local and universal church, but particularly the local church. We need to work with one another, not against one another. We are in this battle together, not against each other. And yet, how easy it is to get jealous when the ministry you're involved in isn't successful as another ministry. Your Sunday school class doesn't thrive like another Sunday school class. Your one-way team isn't growing like another team. Your gifts are different or aren't as great as someone else's. The ministry that you look after doesn't grow like another's ministry. One way is booming and yet tops is not or or vice versa or another's preaching seems to have such a greater effect than yours. You may even be more gifted and yet someone who is less gifted has more success or perhaps your ministry doesn't receive the recognition of another. All of these scenarios, it's so easy to get jealous and envious with your brothers and sisters within the local church and end up making serving a competition within the congregation. And this will end up destroying the effectiveness of the church. There is no room for jealousy or for competition amongst ourselves within the local body, for we are on the same side. We have the the same mission, and fighting amongst ourselves is very counterproductive. No, don't let Satan hinder the work at Cos Harbour Bible Church by snaring you in the deadly trap of jealousy. No, but these sinful and dangerous attitudes can also be present towards another church. No, it's easy for Cos Harbour Bible Church or for Lismore Bible Church to get envious when we see other gospel-preaching churches thriving, you know, experiencing these these revivals, and yet we are not. You know, it's easy to be jealous, to be envious, but, but we must guard against those attitudes. For my friend, we are on the same team. You know, I know of, of a situation where a young pastor moved to a town, and he was to work under a more senior man. This young man was entrusted with his own church in a, in a smaller suburb, And as time went on, the ministry that the young man was entrusted with, you know, it flourished. It grew rapidly. Whereas the ministry that the senior man was overlooking did not have such growth. Jealousy grabbed hold of the senior man so much so that he sacked the younger pastor. And this successful ministry that he had effectively disappeared as a result This is a tragic situation, one that was caused by envy and jealousy. No, Satan certainly had the victory in this situation. So may we make sure that that as we serve the Lord, we don't allow ourselves to become crippled by jealousy and envy. For we need cooperation, not competition. We need unity, not strife. May God help us with this. Now, secondly, I want to consider it's heaven who gives the increase. And this is seen within verse 27. You know, after the disciples come to John and complain, you know, he rebukes them 
rather harshly. And he begins by reminding them in verse 27 of the biblical principle that heaven takes care of the results. Well, it's not only the gifts and abilities that we possess that are decided by God, but it's also up to Him as to how successful one will be, as to what opportunities will be given, as to what doors will be opened. You know, God is sovereign as to how effective a ministry will be. Now, it's up to Him as to how much He will bless. Oh, growth and results are heavenly gifts. And it is the divine prerogative as to where they will be given and how much will be given. You know, as one scholar said, success, promotion, growth and influence are gifts which God keeps entirely in His own hand. And John the Baptist knew this principle well. And this is why he confronts his disciples and makes it more than clear that their jealousies were completely inappropriate. For it didn't matter if his ministry, if his influence was declining. For he knew that God had given him his particular ministry. And if the Lord now chose to diminish the influence of this ministry, or, or to end it all together, then so be it. That was God's call to make. You know, one commentator in explaining this text said, John implies I cannot command continued success in my ministry. I can only receive what God gives me. If he thinks fit to give anyone more acceptance with men than myself, I cannot prevent it and have no right to complain. All success is of God. All that I have had at any period of my ministry has been received and none deserved. And we would do well to remember this. That any opportunities, any success, any results, fruit, whatever term you want to use, is from God. It is heaven that gives the increase. And in light of this principle, allow me to draw some points of application to kind of summarize all of this. So, so number one, now this principle does away with jealousy and competition. Since success, since giftedness, since growth is decided by God, we should not get jealous and competitive for when we do, we are questioning God's wisdom. We are questioning His choice as to what He has allowed or not allowed. And we are effectively saying that we know better than God's, that, that our way, our plan would work better than His, and that is the epitome of arrogance and pride. And number two, this principle also teaches us that lack of success comes from God. And this one's a little bit harder to swallow. It's a lot easier to understand that results come from God. But on the other side of the coin, you know, if success in our wise is not forthcoming, this too comes from God. And this reality should govern how we respond. Now, if God in His wisdom chooses to limit a particular ministry, we should trust His judgment even if we don't understand why. And we must remember our part, all that God asks us is faithfulness. That's your part, that's my part, and whatever comes from that is up to God. You know, maybe it's His will for you and I to have a ministry like Noah. You know, the man preached for 120 years and yet no one hopped in that boat apart from his family. Now, my friend, the results are up to God. 
And the third point of application that comes from this second principle is that when we have success, when we experience growth, give praise to God. And you know, this is very important. When we experience growth within our church, you know, when there is success, when ministries thrive, when people are added to the church, when souls are saved, we need to be very quick to render praise and glory to God because that is where it is due. It's not our efforts that have earned this increase, but it has been given by heaven. You know, and this particular point is very appropriate at a church anniversary. You know, it's obvious that the great things have been accomplished in this church. Souls have been saved, churches have been planted, missionaries have been sent. Spiritual growth is evidence. And my friend, God needs to be praised because it's He who has done the work. To God be the glory, great things He has done. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. And, And we could go on, you know, that is the attitude. You know, for all success, all growth, you know, are gifts graciously bestowed by a loving Father. And this needs to be remembered as we serve within the body. But John the Baptist did not stop at this point in confronting his disciples. He, he went even further. And this leads to the third point. It's about Christ, not me. And this is seen in verses 28 through to 30. Now, in replying to his disciples, John the Baptist releases a three-prong rebuke, which all contain the central message that they had missed. Oh, he begins tearing these childish followers to shreds by making it clear in verse 28 that he always taught that he was not the Christ, but that rather he was sent before him. There there is no way that they could come to such conclusions from what John had said. For John knew that God's will for his life was not to compete with the Christ, to see who could have the most successful ministry, but rather his job was to prepare the way for the Messiah. John was the one prophesied in Malachi 3.1, and he makes it more than clear that it's not about him, it's about Christ. And this is made very clear in the second part of the rebuke. And here John the Baptist employs a wedding parable in verse 29. Now a Jewish wedding scene is used to explain the ministry of John. Now he speaks of a parable about the bridegroom and the friend of the bridegroom. And he illustrates the subservient, his subservient role by casting himself not as the bridegroom, but rather as the friend of the bridegroom. So the friend of the bridegroom, I guess, is similar to what we would refer to as the best man. And he was responsible for organizing and overseeing many details of the wedding. But his main responsibility was to bring the bride to the bridegroom, you know, to begin the ceremony. And having completed this, his task was finished. The whole focus was now on the bridegroom. And I'm sure you can see how this fits. So Jesus is the bridegroom, and now John has completed his task as the friend of the bridegroom, and now he takes backstage. 
And John, depicting himself as the friend of the bridegroom, is saying that he is the last one who would compete with the bridegroom for the bride. It reinforces that he didn't see himself as a rival of Christ. He makes it clear that it was all about Christ as the bridegroom. The best man wouldn't dare make the wedding all about him. And neither would John the Baptist try and compete with Christ. No, for John, it wasn't about him. It was about Jesus. And this point is driven home in verse 30, in the third part of this rebuke, where he proclaims the famous words, you know, he must increase, but I must decrease. In this final rebuke, John makes it clear to his complaining disciples that it was right, it was proper and necessary that Christ should grow in stature, that Christ should grow in dignity and that he should diminish. For he is the servant and Christ is the master. He couldn't understand the jealousy of his followers for John would not have it any other way. He didn't want his ministry to be about him, about building him up, about his glory. Rather, his philosophy was more about Jesus, less about John. You know, one writer had these helpful insights. You know, John knew he was only the servant. Christ was the master. He was only the forerunner and ambassador. Christ was the king. He was only the morning star. Christ was the sun. The idea implied appears to be that of the stars gradually fading away as the sun rises after the break of day. Now, the stars do not really perish or really become less, but they pale and become invisible before the superior brightness of the great center of light. Now, the sun does not really become larger or really increase in brightness, but it becomes more fully visible and occupies a position in which it more completely fills our vision. And so it was with John the Baptist and Christ. And my friends, so it should be with you and me. You know, as we are serving our Lord, we need the humility of John the Baptist, of we decreasing and Christ increasing. Now, this needs to be our attitude in every area of our lives, that, that it's all about Jesus, but particularly when it comes to serving within the local church. You know, it's not about Brendan, it's not about my glory making myself look good. It's all about Jesus. You know, it's not about what people think of me or of you, but what people think of Christ that matters. You know, we don't serve for ourselves, we serve for Christ. You know, Jesus should become greater and more visible, and the servant should become less and less visible. You know, more of Christ and less of me. And yet how easy it is to make our service more about ourselves than about Christ. You know, if it's more about me than it is Jesus, the church will decay. But revival and vibrant spiritual life will be forthcoming if we decrease and Christ is increased. You know, as you serve within this local church, you know, as you ought to, that is your obligation to fulfill your part within this local body. This body needs you, it needs you to fulfill your role. And, and as you do your parts, you know, may this be your 
philosophy. Your, your service motto, it's about Christ, not me. Now, it's about His glory, and not mine. Now, I do what I do for Christ's sake. For that, my friend, is the required attitude in Christian service. No more of Christ and less of me. Amen. Let's pray. Father, Father God, I do thank you for the great privilege that we have as your people to serve you. And Lord, I pray that these, that these lessons found uh, within this text would, uh, would help us to, to serve you better uh, within our local churches. You know, Father, we love you. We thank you for your, for your goodness, your kindness, and your love toward us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor.